So uh, Ken Miller is doing today's reading out of Genesis 1. It is lengthier. So if standing is difficulty, difficult for you, please feel free to sit down. So, Ken. Our reading today is Genesis 1, 2 through 25. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he, the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and the morning and the third day. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let's see how it goes with 30 minutes to cover creation in the six days. <laughs> Easy topic, right? Well, I know some of you might already be checking out. You're like, Dustin, I did come to church for a science class. Well, hang in there with me because from the outset, we need to remember what Ryan covered last week in his one verse of Genesis 1-1. This truly must be a setup. We're starting this new Genesis series, and he's like, yeah, I'll take the first verse, but here you go. Uh, 25 verses in the six days of creation. Ready, set, go. 
So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We must be reminded that all of this is about God and out of his great love, he created. He created all that we can see and cannot see. Then he created man and woman because he decided to share his presence with us. Men and women, as Genesis 1.27 says, who are made in his image. Therefore, creation is a gift from God. Some of you might disagree with this next statement, but the bodies, which are a marvelous wonder, are a gift from God. The air that we breathe, the sun that we enjoy, the water that we can drink or swim in or watch ocean water crashing among the shore, and the breathtaking places we can visit. These are all a good gift from God. And so scripture begins with God. When we open the scriptures and read verse 1, we are confronted with the first question that we all must answer. Do you believe God is the creator? Either you believe he created everything or you don't. And if so, then all the subsequent passages of the Bible will seem meaningless to you because the biblical story is all about him. And I hate to break the news to you. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about God creating. It's about God choosing a broken people group as his own who continually rebel against him. And in spite of them, he sends the Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice to redeem his people so that they can continue to be a light to the nations and proclaim the good news by the power of the Holy Spirit of receiving eternal life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is why we exist as a church today. So today we're looking at the creation account. And for a vast majority of human life, it has been accepted that there is a creator behind all of creation. It wasn't until the 17th century or when scientific reasoning was somewhat codified that there was a shift from a theistic worldview, a God-centered worldview, to an atheistic natural worldview of cosmic evolutionary chance known also as the Big Bang Theory, not that TV show, which I've never watched, but I know it exists. The Big Bang Theory goes something like this, that somehow matter came into being 13.7 billion years ago, and there's no explanation on how, they just skip past that or push forward, that this, the, and the matter that did exist all culminated into one millimeter spot in the creation and it blew up. Big bang. And then somehow over the course of millions and billions of years that all the elements that came to existence were all formed into what we can now enjoy as creation. You see, if you can believe all of that, you have faith too. So we're somewhat on common ground with people who hold a different viewpoint. You have big bang, we have big God. And both can agree that there was a beginning of time. Because why? 
God of the Bible, God of the scriptures exists outside of time and everything else. Now I realize studying creation in the six days can produce endless questions which can be enriching to our own knowledge and faith. But we must remember that our Trinitarian God was the only one there at the beginning. And it's important for us to know that the Bible in a general sense and Genesis in a particular sense was not written with the intention of being a scientific textbook. Because even with all of our advancements in the science fields, we can end up looking foolish at times. And we can learn that from history. What do I mean? Well, history teaches us that up until the 16th century or the Reformation within the church, that the general Christian view and the general public view was that the earth is flat with a theory that was rising of it could possibly be a sphere or this ball, but it's generally held that the earth doesn't move and that the sun and the earth, the earth is the center of the universe and the sun and the moons and everything else revolves around us. Well, the Christian church got there because there's some scriptures that communicate that in a metaphorical sense. And so that was their belief at the time. Are there any flat earthers in here today? No, most of us would say, of course not, because over time, we and people, humanity has been able to discover God's creation and work through those challenges of how scripture and Bible and how God, how we discover his good creation. But during that time, the 16th century, it took willing Christians like Nicholas Copernicus and Galileo to build upon this theory that they were learning about the sun possibly being the center of the universe and the earth being a sphere that orbits around the sun. And at the same time, while they were doing this, get deemed by the church heretics because they were out of step with the scriptures, the couple scriptures that they would point to during that time. You see, when God-fearing Christians use the intellect that God gave them to study his creation, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. We shouldn't build a wall between God and science because at some point the conclusion will point more and more to God or what some scientists call the intelligent design. Brothers and sisters, we should not be offended by this because they are discovering what our big God has created. But we just give credit where credit's due. Again, the Bible reveals the God of creation, which means its emphasis is on God and his relationship with humanity. Therefore, Genesis is far more concerned with the questions of who made creation and why he made creation. Nevertheless, I will attempt to unpack a biblical foundation of creation, but I know from the outset I am going to disappoint some of you who love this topic because I'm not going to be able to cover every nuance nor really dive into some of the, the core foundation of it. But I want to encourage you, if you love this topic and want to dive in some more, come check out our podcast that Ryan and I have launched for this Genesis study where we'll, we'll spend a little more time pressing into the sermon material. And you can find this online at cccnow.com. 
top bar, it says media, and then the podcast will be in there. Or you can go to YouTube, our church YouTube or Facebook page to find the podcast. Now, I have a cautionary reminder for all of us. The viewpoint you hold about creation, the age of the earth, or if the six days of creation are literal 24-hour days or not, should not be a litmus test for another Christian's faithfulness. Lord, have mercy on us when the watching eyes of unbelievers see us Christians arguing one another on matters that do not pertain to our salvation. You see, this topic is a non-essential, open-handed topic. Don't hear me saying it's not important because it is important. So anything beyond God being the creator, which is essential, which is Close-handed, anything beyond this does not pertain to salvation. And again, we can learn from history. One of the big church fathers that our Christianity tree branch comes from, uh, St. Augustine from the 4th century, says this. One could ask, which shape and form of heaven must be accepted by faith on the authority of Holy Scripture? Many dispute about these things which the sacred writers, the biblical writers, pass by in silence because they are without importance for attaining eternal life. In short, the Spirit of God which spoke through them, the biblical writers, did not wish to teach things which contribute nothing to salvation. So in essence, we cannot be dogmatic about a particular position as if our salvation depends upon it, beyond the essential belief that God is the creator. Now, for those of you that were not with us last week, we're diving into a new Genesis series. And the book of Genesis was written by Moses, who, was, who God chose as the leader to rescue his people from Israel out of 440 years of slavery in Egypt. Genesis, which means beginning, Uh, was written around 1400 BC. And here we are, 3,400-ish years later, continuing to be reminded of God's faithfulness to his chosen people. And so let's look back at verse 1, because there's a couple main points I want to cover before we look at the six days of creation. So Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God. It's all about God. And before we move past God being the creator, it's an important reminder about the God we speak of, who is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the doctrine of the Trinity is a unique belief of Christianity, that there's one God as three persons in relationship with one another, all sharing the divine attributes. So here in verse 1, we have God the Father. And as we'll read later in verse 2, we have God the Spirit who's hovering over the waters. And if we were to jump down to verse 26, which we're not covering today, we read, let us make man in our image, which begs the question in Genesis 1, the creation account, who's the us? Well, it's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ who's present at creation as we learn through the revelation of scripture in John's gospel account. So John 1.1 starts with, in the beginning. Connecting back to Genesis 1.1, 
in the beginning God, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jumping down to verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the way God does his work of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is through the power and authority of his word. The word of God goes out, God speaks, and creation comes into existence. The Lord says in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So here we have at the very beginning of creation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit participating in bringing creation into being. And how do they do that? How did they do that? Through speaking. So God spoke creation into being through the word. God spoke creation into being through the word. In Colossians, Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11.3. It starts with, by faith. By faith. Everyone has faith. If you believe nothing created matter or chaos created order or unintelligence created intelligence, you have faith. But as Hebrews 11 is getting to is by faith, we, those who believe in God, understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So when we look at Genesis 1, we see creation come into being by the power of God's word. This is shown by the repeated phrases in Genesis 1 throughout the whole account, which we're not going to go verse by verse by verse because we'll be here till probably 1.30. I can tell some of you already want lunch. But in Genesis 1, there's this repeated pattern of, and God said, then let there be fill in the blank, light, and creation comes into being or is formed into what it was meant to be. You see, God's power of speaking creation into being is so predominant throughout Scripture that those who do not believe he is the one who created are without excuse, as we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, those who do not believe, are without excuse. This is what we call general revelation. In essence, every human being, when they look at creation, they have the ability to acknowledge that there is a creator behind it all, and this becomes the whole dilemma for those who hold a naturalistic viewpoint. They're either intentionally rejecting God, or God hasn't opened up their mind, heart, and soul to his 
creative power. For some, they just can't accept the point that we believe that God created out of nothing. That God created out of nothing. You see, going back to our earlier Hebrews passage, it affirms this distinction of creation from nothing. Hebrews 11.3 again, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So God did not go and just collect the things that already existed and created creation because that would leave us with more questions and bigger questions. We also, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4, it's about the 24 elders gathered around the Lord's throne and worshiping him. And they say this in verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This Christian belief of God creating out of nothing is important because if God created out of pre-existing matter, then he really is not the creator of all. This belief is important because it negates the possibility of a naturalistic, eternal, pre-existent universe that blew up at some point to create a life-sustaining environment over 13.7 billion years ago. But if we look back at Genesis uh, 1 and 2, Verse 1 is what we call in an introductory encapsulation statement of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we get a subsequent account of how God unfolds creation through the six days. And it's at this moment, there's a possibility that God brings into being from nothing out of course. So God creates all that is necessary for him to build out creation for sustaining life. What do I mean? Well, if we continue, look at verse 2. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In verse 2, Hebrew scholars believe at this moment, the earth was a sphere of water covering all the land, and it is empty and unfilled or uncultivated. You see, when you translate the words in there of without form and void, it means that the earth of what was created is unhabitable. And Deuteronomy 32.10 uses the same language and describes that as a wasteland. And so... It's very difficult to live in a wasteland. It's very difficult for human and animals and everything else of creation to flourish in a wasteland. And Hebrew scholars believe that God has brought forth in verse 2 here all the necessary physical laws and elements that will support all the creating he will do in the subsequent days. Now, not to geek out too much on the original language here, but there's two words in the Genesis 1 account that have some depth and meaning that need to be drawn out. Three different times in Genesis 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth, God created the living creatures, and God created the human beings. 
The Hebrew word here is bara, which means to create out of nothing. And God is always the subject throughout the Old Testament when bara is used. You see, we cannot as human beings make something from nothing, but our God can. So God bara's in Genesis 1, the heavens and the earth, the living creatures and human beings. The second word is asah, and I apologize, there's no slide here because uh, I sent the wrong sermon note versions to uh, our person who creates them, so it's not up there. But anyways, the second word in Genesis 1 is asah, and we see it throughout the account of God made, God made, God made. God made the expanses, God made the two great lights, God made the beasts. And so it means to make, manufacture, or to gather up the resources and put it into effect, which both God and us can do because it is taking what exists and turning it into something. Now, I would argue, because one of the references is that God made the two great lights, the sun and the moon, that we don't have that ability, maybe at the moment, but we have definitely seen through ingenuity I think of doctors and surgeons, the medical fields, and all kinds of science fields that we have seen through the ingenuity that God has given us, the ability to assaw or create out of what exists and make things that bring great life-giving results. But on the flip side, we can assaw or make things that bring about suffering and pain because of sin. Now, to give a visual of this, because I'm sure I lost probably like three quarters of you, uh, I want you to think about a place that's unhabitable for us, you know, something in our context. Well, I'm glad that you can't think of anything, because what came to my mind was the uh, Crestview, where the old Crestview bowling lanes used to be. Who, who bowled there before? I mean, everybody's hands should be up, like it's been around for like 90 years, and then they bulldozed it. But uh, there's been that empty lot of land there for decades, and it's still there, empty lot of land. I would beg to say it's unhabitable. I mean, the people that own it have probably had to deal with homeless people setting up tents, but they don't last long there. And so what has to happen? A developer has to come along, gather some plans, make some drawings, and then people, we need to come in and they gotta lay out the water, the sewage, the gas, the electricity, the storm drains, the streets, the poles, the light, all that stuff, right? And then contractors come in and they build the houses and painters come in and blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. Have you ever seen someone with the ability to go up to, uh, let's say, where the Empire State Building, when it was a blank piece of land, say, bara, and the Empire State Building come into being? No, we don't have that ability. We have the ability to assaw. We have the ability to gather the resources that are already in existence and to make things. So, you might be asking, what's so important to us about these two words? Well, I find it particularly interesting that God barad the heavens and the earth in verse 1, then a majority of the six days of creation that we'll get into, that God assad, God made, God made, God made, into the form. So this begs the question, did God create or barad the heavens and the earth and then at a later time, did he assaw in the six days of creation come into being so that man and woman and animals and plants could dwell? To let the cat out of the bag, 
This is where Christians point to in order to support an old earth view. But before we go there, let's look at a general overview of the six days of creation. I just want to acknowledge, some of you are probably like, you know, yelling up in your head, you're wrong or whatnot. Just hang in there with me as we walk through these. So six days of creation. Day one, day and night. God separates the light and darkness to get day and night. Day two, sea and sky. Day three, land and vegetation. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, fish and birds. Day six, land animals and man. One kind of cool point here that I kind of laughed at when I realized this. After the days, it says that God saw that it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. We're not talking about it, but when he creates man and woman, uh, that it was very good. Did you know that there's a day that God didn't say was good? Guess what day it was on? It was day two, which we would say Monday. Monday. God found Monday. He didn't say it was good. Can anybody of you relate to that? Like, how many of you are looking forward to going to work tomorrow? <laughs> Anyways, another little point here. Some of you might be asking, well, what about micro and macro evolution? Like, yeah, we don't have time to go into that. But I will point to this. My, macro evolution, which comes from like, you know, hey, we've evolved from primates and that kind of stuff that uh, our kids are being taught. Verse 12 Verse 21 and verse 24, when it comes to the vegetation, the Genesis 1 says, yielding seed according to their kind, and also with fruit trees. With fish and birds, it says, according to their kinds to multiply. For land animals, according to their kinds. My friends, the teaching of macroevolution that we came from primates is, I don't know any other word, but it's, it's, it's garbage, okay? Microevolution, whole different cool conversation. But we have to trust when we open up scripture and God creates all these wondrous things and then he gets to man and woman and says that you are made in my image. And for culture or for some of the science to teach that we came from primates, I think it fractures the real man and woman being made in God's image. And so this is where we would point to, if we ever find ourselves in the conversation of micro-macro-evolution, with macro-evolution, we got to trust the Word of God. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, Scripture is our foundation for truth. But be reminded, we should not be so, you know, um, we should not push away science because they are discovering our good God's creation. Okay, so the six days. Now, I'm sure most of you have agreed up until now, but here's one of the big questions about creation when Christians have this conversation. Are the six days of creation literal 24-hour days? You see, each day is numbered and referred to in the Genesis 1 account as evening and morning. You see, evening and morning, that was a full-day rhythm for the Hebrews, for God's people. Why? Because I believe our God is a God of order, and he set up a seven-day week from the outset of creation. By modeling, you work for six days and you rest on the seventh. Why is this so important? Because if God rested from all his work of creating and making, then we should too. So the big debate word, when we're talking about the six days of creation, literal 24-hour days, 
is the Hebrew word yom, which when it's translated, it means day, daylight. And a vast majority of the time, it means a literal 24-hour day. Now, I can hear some of you like, you're like, Dustin, have you ever read 2 Peter 3.8? Yes, I have, where Peter writes that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Okay, so let's look at Exodus 20.11. So Exodus 20, Moses, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and Moses is up on the mountain, and he comes down, and do you remember what God's people were doing at the bottom of the mountain when Moses is up there talking to God? They're like, yeah, forget this God, this Moses guy. Let's make a golden calf, right? So Moses comes down. He gives the Ten, the ten Commandments. He gets to the Fourth Commandment, which is the keeping the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, holy. Day there in the Ten Commandments is Yom. So it'd be a little weird to apply 2 Peter 3.8 to this passage, wouldn't it? I mean, that would leave a big room for interpretation of like, okay, Lord, if your Sabbath day is like a thousand years and a day is like a thousand years, then we could just Sabbath whenever. Okay. What if we press forward a little more uh, in the Genesis account of when we get to Noah and the flood? In Genesis 7 verse 12, it says that rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. It fell on 40 Yams and four, I didn't study night in Hebrew, so 40 nights. 40 yams and 40 nights. It would be a little odd to put 2 Peter 3.8 here that, well, okay, maybe the rain fell for thousands of years, lots of years, an unknown amount of time. If you start going down that route, it, gets, it becomes a slippery slope. Because then you start asking questions like, well, well, maybe was the flood really a, a global flood? Was it a local flood? I mean, it, you know, we start questioning a lot of stuff. When I became a Christian, was handed the Bible, I was told that this is God's truth. This is how you learn who God the Father is, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and who we're called to be even in our brokenness and sin. And when I read through it for the first time, I mean, maybe I'm just a simple person I just took it at face value that when God says a day is a day, it's like when we wake up in the morning and we go to sleep at night, a day is a day. Because I don't believe a God, I don't believe our God is a God of confusion. I believe our God is a God of order. So all that to say, I don't know where you land on the six days of creation, but I tend to fall towards the, it is a literal 24 hour day. So why is this important? Because it will determine uh, where you land or what squad you're on when it comes to the various Christian views of creation. So as a reminder, we're all on Team Jesus when it comes to the Christian views of creation. The different, the different views that are out there, there's about 15 to 16 views. We're not going over all 15 and 16 views because in essence, they all fall within about four core buckets of the, of the different viewpoints. Now, I like to think of the Christian views of creation as being different lanes on a highway, because we're all on Team Jesus. We're hopefully all going in the same direction. But there are some churches that they're, they just drive in the fast lane, 
And you go to like merge in there and you go five miles too slow, they start ram hitting into you and they're like, dude, you got the wrong driving skills, get out of our lane. You know, we can sense some of that. Or there's some churches that are like the, uh, the, uh, the carpool lanes in SoCal where they got cement walls on both sides. Like you get into it and you're not getting out. If you change your view, you're gonna smash up against a wall and wreck and we're gonna have to boot you out. I pray that our church, Christ Community Church, like I said in the beginning that, you know, this is a very important topic, but we're not upholding these things as being essential doctrine. They're fun to dialogue and discuss and get into God's word and listen to what our brothers and sisters who are in the science and medical fields and all the wonder and marvel of our God's creation. So let's get to the point. What are the various Christian views of creation? Here's the four buckets. And if you are looking for a, re, uh, a resource, there's a gentleman named Dr. John Lennox. He's an Irishman. He's a mathematician at Oxford University. He's a Christian apologist that has poured hundreds of hours into this topic and had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation, a debate with uh, Richard Hawkins, I believe. And so uh, he is a great, he's a God-fearing, Jesus-loving man that kind of boils this down into like common sense uh, which I'm not an expert in this, and so it made sense to me. Four views. The first one is historic earth creationism with a young humanity. This is important. Even science is more so saying, oh yeah, you know what, humanity, we're not 3.8 billion you know, years old. We're actually pretty young as a species. So point number one is old earth, young humanity. And I spent all that time drawing out the differentiation between verse one and the rest of creation because this is where this Christian viewpoint comes from. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, poof. And then at some point, at a later time, down the road, God fulfilled through the six days of literal 24 hours, six days of creation that we read in the Genesis account. And that's how they get to that. Young earth creationism. This is a... The literal 24 hours, seven day week, anywhere from six to 10,000 years. This has been a very common view among Christians. Uh, the young earth creationism is we take the Bible and we can look at the genealogies because we believe God is truth. And that when he talks about a year, that's a year uh, in the Bible, we can take it as like, you know, 365 days in a year. Uh, and when you, there's been smart people that have added all that up the years, and we get that, hey, we're anywhere from, we'll say 6,000-ish years up to maybe 10,000. It's a 24-hour literal day because a yom is a yom. It's 24 hours. And then this begs the question of, well, how does our earth look so old? Because with this view, we go, hey, have you ever read 2 Peter 3.8 where it says a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day? And God... He's God. He could just speak and make it look like whatever he wants because he is all powerful and he is mighty. He's outside of time and space and existence and he could make our earth look old. Or, hey, we actually believe in a global flood. So when the global flood happened, it compacted the earth's core and the land and everything in it. And then when the waters receded, it, God made it look like an old age. So, these are all valid uh, beliefs. Okay, number three, literary framework, form and fullness. So when I took Hebrew in seminary, uh, 
the professors, they all teach this, that Genesis 1 and 2 is poetry. It's not science. It's all poetry. It's metaphorical. And so uh, the first three days of creation are the form. You know, hey, the waters weren't filled. And so boom, God filled it with the sea creatures. The land was empty. And so God filled it with vegetation and God filled it with the animals. So form and fullness. The last view is the day-age view. There's a few other names, but these are successive periods of time that are unknown. So God created in the beginning, and then, you know, 50 million years down the road, he did this, a billion, he did that. And so you end up with an old earth, <clears throat> an old earth of unknown periods. The most two predominant views within our Christian circles are view one and two. Old earth, young humanity, Young earth, young humanity. So, are all your questions answered? <laughs> I see some of you are nodding off. I get it. This isn't for you. But, you know, we're walking through the word of God and Genesis uh, talks about creation. So, there's just no, there's so many more questions that you have. And all I can do is encourage you is if this kind of strikes you with awe and wonder, is to pursue it, ask questions, dig in, look in, because we have nothing to be fearful of. There are medical professionals, there are scientists that are God-fearing Christians that they, here's the cool thing, they get to be the presence of Jesus to a, a field where most people are atheists. Like, I wish I had that opportunity because most times around churches, we have people that are already asking the questions about God. And when you're in those fields, you get to enter into those conversations and just ask like, hey, what if? Because you don't need to be offended. You know God is the creator of all. And so my last point that I want to cover before we end. God's creation was good. God's creation was good because he created it in an orderly way in a way that we should not be afraid of scientific findings because in the end, we know who has given the ability for human beings to discover new things about our creation. You see, God's creation was good and orderly because on the sixth day of creation, God made man and woman, which Ryan is going to cover next week, and God gave a cultural mandate to them to have dominion over the earth, to subdue the animals, and in essence, to care for creation to cultivate it and enjoy it. We're not called to strip creation of every resource, but to be attentive to how we live within God's creation and stand in awe of its beauty and give thanks for such a marvelous young earth creation. That's where I stand, by the way, if you were wondering. Like, Dustin, where do you stand? I'm a young earther. God's creation was good, and as we'll cover in a couple weeks, when our first parents rebelled against God, sin not only entered humanity, but brought, brought death, decay, and brokenness to our creation. But there's a hope for those who believe in Jesus Christ. We will get to enjoy a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, as we read in Revelation 21, which says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. My friends, here's another area where Christians and people who do not believe in God or naturalistic viewpoint that the earth is heading towards its extinction. 
So the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Well, I know as I was preparing for this message, God answered my prayer of encouraging my soul and faith in him as our creator as I dove into this topic. And when I was reading the creation days and got to day seven, I read that God rested from all his work and blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God Sabbath. Do you remember when God's people Sabbath? From Friday evening until Saturday. That has been their norm for thousands of years. This means when God started to create on day one, what day was it? Sunday morning. Fast forward to Jesus who was crucified on the cross and was buried. What day did he rise victoriously out of the grave to defeat, defeat death? Sunday morning. What a beautiful picture that we can see through the scripture of the original creation and the new creation we experience in Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You see, we'll never fully know the mysteries of God's creation until the day he returns or when we are in his presence. But one thing I know for a fact, we are given the free gift of grace and can experience being a renewed creation when we are in Christ. My friends, be encouraged when you read the creation account of Genesis 1 and be reminded of how the Lord took your unhabitable soul full of darkness and spoke into your ear, let there be light, at the moment that you accepted Jesus as your Lord. You see, your faith journey with Jesus is meant to be like the creation account of God cultivating his good in you so that you can be presence and be in the presence of him wherever he sends you. So, as you go out this week, be reminded that you are in Christ and you are a new creation in God's creation. Amen? Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the minds that you have given us to dive in and, and have wonder and awe and questions that we don't fully find in Scripture, God. And that we can look out at your creation and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can help us learn and become knowledgeable and just stand in awe of your creation. And Father, that is the prayer as we head out, that we would be the presence of Jesus. We would be that new creation the hope that we have in Revelation 21 that one day you will dwell 
in person with us, Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we could go out into our day, our week, and share that good news with others. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.